Good morning. I'm glad you're here today. You know, this is the last sermon in the series that we've been calling Uncertain. We've been looking at Moses' life and the uncertainties that he experienced to kind of inform our uncertain journey that all of us are on during these times. He feared that they would enter the land, enter the promised land, you know, the land flowing with milk and honey, and they'd become prosperous, and they'd forget, they'd fade away, drift away from the things of God. Carla has wanted me to preach a sermon for I don't know how long, several years, on, on using Casting Crown song, Slow Fade. Do you remember that song? Have you heard that song? And it talks about the dangers of fading away from the, from the things of God. Not quickly, not just saying, all right, I'm done with God, but rather it's a slow fade. It's just kind of moving away from the things of God and do our own things. And that's exactly what Moses is fearful of, that they would get into the new land and prosper and forget about God fade away. I think this pandemic has the potential for doing that for believers. Last week, if you recall, the, the, the three points, I said the three themes running through Exodus and Numbers are, were the Exodus, of course, the construction and the bringing in of articles into the tabernacle, and the third main theme running through was the grumbling and complaining of the people. Well, if there's a theme running through Deuteronomy, it's children. Of all things, here, Moses is on the mountain, right? He's going to look over the promised land. But his worry is for the children. 38 times in the book of Deuteronomy, 38, he speaks of children and the necessity to share our faith with our children. A good example of that is in Deuteronomy 6 when he says, These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them. When you, when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. And in case you're wondering what, what we should tell them, all right, we're, we're supposed to impress upon them. What are we, exactly are we to tell them? He tells us what they should tell them just a few verses later. He says, when your children ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the decrees and the statutes and the ordinance of, that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your children, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord displayed before our eyes great and awesome signs and wonders against Egypt, against Pharaoh and his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in to give us the land that he promised on oath to our ancestors. Then the Lord commanded to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God our lasting, for our lasting good, as to keep us alive, as is now the case. If we diligently observe this commandment, Moses said, before the Lord our God, as he commanded us, we will be in the right. Amen. Here's my point, the big point, I guess. In these uncertain times, now in all times, we need to be absolutely certain that we are passing on our faith to the next generation. That's what Moses was concerned about. That's what we should be concerned about. I'm worried that, that kids during this pandemic will not uh, suffer the greatest harm from, for the most part, from the virus or even the, the, you know, the school situation, in home, in school, out of school, in person, all of that mess you parents know. No, my greatest fear is that the, the faith won't be passed on. That, that, that they will miss the, the, the telling of the story and reliving and experiencing God Almighty for themselves. Moms and dads, that's your job. It's your responsibility to teach our children the, the truths of the faith. 
Our responsibility at the church is to equip you, to help you, to encourage you, to come alongside you, to offer insight and, and help wherever we can. Our responsibility is to make sure your kids are welcome here, that they know that they belong here. And let me just stop here for a minute and take us in, because I, I really want to communicate this well. Your kids are welcome here. Your grandkids, they're welcome here. You say, Pastor, I know they're welcome here. Of course they're welcome here. No, I mean, even if they've made bad choices, even if you're disappointed in their lifestyle, even if you disagree with some of their perspective, if you don't see eye to eye on issues, what matters, your kids, your grandkids, they need to know, they need to know that they are welcome here. Now, Pastor, we know that, of course. We invite them, we tell them they're welcome there. I know. But let me tell you about a conversations that I've had, not once, twice, but several times down through the years. Uh, this happens, I suppose it could happen over a number of things, but the thing that seems most prevalent in my mind is when some, a parent came to me and told me that their child uh, has chosen, um, they were struggling with their sexual identity. They'd come out of the closet. And they didn't think they'd be welcome. And the kids, the, their, their kids didn't think they'd be welcome. And I, and I told those parents, I said, all right, what are you talking about? Your kids were in our Sunday school. They went to VBS, went to summer camp, part of our youth group. Are you kidding me? Of course they're welcome. They're going to always be welcome. We want, where else would we want them? Do we want them out on the street? Do we want them going someplace else? No, we want them here. We want them to know they're loved. We want them here. See, we want, we want all of our prodigal sons and daughters here. We want them to come home. We want those, those students and those young adults that have stayed on the straight and narrow. We want them here too. Don't get me wrong. We want them all here. That's the point. We, they need to know they're welcome. And when they know they're welcome, when they know they're loved, that's, that's when we let God worry about the rest. You know, I'm constantly tweaking our, our board structure and the way our committees are set up. And of course, we've got the regular committees, you know, finance and building and missions, those things you have to have. But this year, we, we, we established a new committee. We were supposed to have committee meetings Tuesday. Those were canceled, COVID, garbage. But we established a new committee called the Growing Together Committee, and the Growing Together Committee is based on the survey that we took a couple of years ago, the whole church on the, on the book and the research in Growing Young. And, and the Growing Together Committee, their charge is to deal with those six big rocks. If you remember, those six rocks are that we take Jesus' message seriously. We want our young adults, our, our, our young students, we want them to know that we take Jesus' message seriously every time we gather. That, that we talk Jesus, that we preach Jesus, that Jesus is, 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 you know, all we care about. We take his message seriously. And the second point of those big rocks is that, that we empathize with today's youth. That means we, we try to understand some of the things they're going through. If you haven't been in a high school in 15, 20 years, then you, it's a different world. If you're like me and haven't been in a high school in 40 years, it's nearly 40 years, it's a different, different, different world. We need to understand, we need to walk in their shoes. 
So we empathize with today's youth. We, we develop a warm community. Warm community, they, the, the, the key line from that is that warm is the new cool, which is good because, you know, we, the young adults don't care if it's a cool church. They want a warm church. They, I, they don't need a cool pastor, which is excellent, because if you didn't hear, I just said I was nearly out of high school for 40 years. So, so they don't need a cool pastor and church. They need a warm pastor and church. Does that make sense? We need to be a, a, a good neighbor. I, one, of the, one of the greatest compliments our church has received was just talking to a guy who doesn't attend here. He attends another church, not a Nazarene church. Uh, he's on the board, or whatever they call it, board of elders, something like that, at his church. But he has some family here, and we were talking one day. And, and he, he, he said, he told his board, he's on the board, he told his board, they were talking on the board, how can we, you know, love our neighbors as ourselves? And he said, he said this to his board, not our board, not from our church. He said, he said, you know what kind of church we need to be like? He said, we need to be like Central Church of the Nazarene. He told me he said that to him. I said, yeah. That's who we want. We want, to be, we want to love our neighbors. We want to be a good neighbor. That resonates. Not a, I mean, that's what we're called to do, but it resonates with our young adults. We need to offer keychain leadership. That means that we give over some leadership stuff, that we include them in decision-making, that we have a youth band. Wasn't the youth? Again, you guys were awesome. It wasn't planned that they would be playing today when I'm preaching about this. Uh, it just worked out that way. Pastor Enosh is home. He just found out yesterday he tested negative. He's been in quarantine. He tested negative, but Tiffany's still waiting for the test, so we're trying to keep everybody safe, so they're home. Youth band was here. Now you did great. So we offer keychain leadership, and we prioritize families everywhere, which means we care about our families. We want our families to, to, to thrive and do well, and we want to help all families come along and do that. So take Jesus' message seriously. Empathize with today's youth. Develop a warm community. Be a good neighbor. Offer keychain leadership. Prioritize families. Why am I telling you all this? Because Moses understood that if we don't teach our kids the faith, parents and grandparents, if we don't teach our kids the faith, who will? Right. I don't want to cram religion down their throat. You know, my parents dragged me to church. I don't want... I, you know what? I don't see too much of that happening. I don't think you have to worry about that. What you do need to worry about is, is parents, and what I see more often, far more often, is parents who, who, who don't prioritize God. He's on the list. He's just not at the top of the list. There's other things that get to the top of the list. And Moses is saying, God must be first. He's worried that they were going to get into this new land and prosperity and all the rest, and they'd forget about it. Parents, our kids are listening to us. Our, our kids are watching us. You've heard the old saying, you know, that the, the person follows in their parents' footsteps. You know, they like the same things or go into the same occupation or something like that. And it happens a lot. Electrician's son becomes electrician. Plumber's son becomes a plumber. Doctor's daughter becomes a doctor. Preacher's kids. Not my boys, but a lot of times preacher's kids, they become... In our church, Pastor Joey, his dad is a pastor. Pastor Rashonda, her dad is a pastor. Pastor Live and Good, his dad is a pastor. Uh, pastor Enosh, his grandma is a pastor. And Pastor Anthony... His grandpa was a pastor. So they follow in the footsteps. We, you, we've seen that. But you also know that works for the other way. Alcoholic son becomes an alcoholic. Uh, drug addict's kid becomes a drug addict. Person who was abused becomes an abuser themselves. The question of the hour is, the question really we need to ask, are, are the steps you're taking the steps you want to be followed? 
See, that's what Moses is telling the people in Deuteronomy. You're moving into the promised land. Land flowing of milk and honey. Woo, it's awesome, but you gotta tell your kids, you gotta remind your kids, you gotta show the kids the things of God. The promised land won't be worth it, Moses is saying. It won't be worth it. It won't be worth the milk and honey if we forget about God. And can I tell you, even if your kid becomes a star baseball player or a great scientist or a wonderful musician or even, as we talked about earlier, a Nobel Peace Prize winner, it won't be worth a thing if they don't know Jesus. That's the point. Are we passing on the faith? Do our kids know what's important? When I was a boy, my grandpa had a garden, a huge garden, three, four acre garden. He loved his garden. He worked it every day. He'd get home from work or when I was around, he was retired and so he spent a lot of time in that big garden. The, the, the ground was always freshly tilled and every morning he'd go out and he'd check for, you know, bugs or disease or if animals had gotten into his garden. And when I would, I would stay with him for a week or two in the summer and when I would stay, I'd follow him and we'd go out to the garden together. And he'd have his hoe in hand and he would take steps in that freshly tilled dirt and I would do my best. His gate was bigger than mine, but I would do my best to put my footprint in his footprint. I didn't want to step on any of the plants and I, and I just want, I followed him all the way. Are you leading your life? Are you taking a journey that your kids, your grandkids will want to follow? Solomon said it best. He said, a prudent man gives thoughts to his steps. That's what I'm wanting for us this morning. As, as Moses is looking out at the people at the promised land and he's getting lost in wonder and grace and love. But he's saying, wait a minute, it's not going to be worth it if our kids don't follow the same path. Listen, it's almost impossible to tell your kids that God is number one in our lives and, and put out all sorts of holy platitudes. Maybe put a Bible verse on your wall or, or put Bible verses on your, on your Facebook page. Tell our kids, oh yeah, God's number one. But then not by our acts do they see that God is number one. It's awfully hard to tell our kids that God is number one if they never see you pray. It's awfully hard to tell our kids that God is number one if they never see us in our Bible. It's awfully hard to tell our kids that God is number one if they never see us in service. They never see us giving uh, back to the Lord. They never see us writing out a tithe check or... <laughs> or online, filling out a tithe, whatever, sending it in. And they never, it's all sorts of holy platitudes we can do, but if they don't see it in us, they won't know it. You see, our kids aren't dumb. Even your adult kids, they're not dumb. They will quickly understand one thing. What you say and what you do are two different things. Listen, if we're praising the Lord at home, maybe our kids will come along and praise it. It's not a guarantee. I'm not saying it's a guarantee. But I guarantee you, if you're critical at home, if you're gossiping at home, if you're, if you're saying one thing, doing something else, oh, they'll see that all right. And they'll follow in those same footsteps. Your kids are watching you. They're listening to you. Are, are you following a path that you want them to follow? My dad, my dad wasn't a pastor. He worked at Ford Motor Company. He worked there for 42 years. None of us followed in his footsteps in employment. None of us are in the auto industry. My brother and two sisters. But all of us are following after Jesus, like my mom and dad. Listen, it's no shock that my brother is a pastor and I'm a pastor. My sister, Pam, for a short period was a missionary until she had to come home because of health reasons. 
It's no shock because even though my dad wasn't a pastor, we didn't follow in those footsteps. I'll tell you this. My dad never, ever, I never heard my parents speak poorly of the church or the pastors in our home. Never. And we had some bad pastors. We had some goobers. I remember from probably, I don't know, second grade, first grade to 10th grade, we had the first pastor in there went crazy theologically, went off the rails, he left the church. The next guy came in, was a young guy, he was sharp, he was terrific, he was wonderful, he embezzled a bunch of money and took off. And the next guy, his whole life was a mess, his marriage was a mess, his kids were a mess, his life was a mess. They were goobers. We didn't hear about it in our house. I didn't know about it until years later. So it's no shock, right, that my brother and I would become pastors. Because my parents modeled before us. They taught us. They forged a way for us to follow. Parents, it's up to you. In these uncertain times, in these crazy times, are your kids seeing that you're faithful? Are your kids seeing that you're trusting God? Are your kids seeing that you're loving and kind, that you love God, love people, even people that didn't vote the way you did or look different or talk different or act different or whatever different? Do they see that you love God, love people? Oh my goodness, we gotta get going. We gotta fast forward from Deuteronomy 6 to Deuteronomy 33 and 34. The end of Deuteronomy 32, God tells Moses he's not going into the promised land. You know, kind of a bum deal, really. He's led these, these stinking people for the last 40 years. They've given nothing but grief. And, and, you know, you'd expect God to say, you know, okay, but he doesn't. You're 120 years old, Moses. You're going to die, but you can see it. So he's been with these not-so-obedient people. He's readied them to get into the promised land. The book of Deuteronomy is over and over telling them to remember what God has done and remember how God has worked and to teach that, those lessons to your kids and then the end, just before he dies, right, he gives a blessing. He gives a blessing to each one of the tribes. He talks about their uniqueness and their, and their talents and their giftedness and how the, all these tribes work together in God's grand scheme. But the thing I want you to get is verses 26 and 27 in chapter 33. Because Moses concludes with this. He says, there is no one like God who rides the heavens to help you and his excellency on the clouds. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are his everlasting arms. Oh, I love that. Now, let me read it again. I really love it. There is no one like our God who rides the heavens for what? To help you. And in his excellency on the clouds, the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are his everlasting arms. See, Moses is reminding the people that God is a very present help in all the situations we face, that he is our refuge in uncertain times, in all times, when the earth seems to be shaking. We don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen in these next uh, days, months, weeks, whatever. But through it all, the one thing we know, there, there, there may be no guarantee. Well, there's this guarantee. God will be with us in our joys and in our sorrows in all times. God will be with us. And Moses is looking out over this and remembering all those things, remembering how God sent plague after plague in Egypt and how he got the people out of there and split the Red Sea. And he was with, even though the people were disobedient and they didn't care, Moses, Moses recognized how underneath all of that was God's everlasting arms. That God helped them every step of the way, even when the people were less than thankful, even when discouragement and, 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 and disappointments and disobedience 
God still is under, underneath where his everlasting arms, lifting and holding them up. See, as we reflect on our uncertain times, I hope we'll see the same thing. I hope, I hope we will get caught up with Charles Wesley in the sense of wonder, love, and praise, not hopelessness and despair. That at work in your life? I hope that you get, get a sense not when we blah, 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 blah. But I hope what you say is, but through it all, God's everlasting arms. And that I could have faith in, in any situation. And that God was with me every time. All the, whatever happened, that God was with me. I want you to be able to declare that. Not only for you, but that others might see that in you. I heard a story, maybe, you've, maybe I've told this before, I can't remember. About a couple of nuns who were de delivering medical supplies. Did I tell you the story? They ran out of gas. So they looked around, of course they didn't have a gas tank, and so, but they had medical supplies, so they had a bedpan. So the gas station was about a mile away, so they went and got gas in the bedpan, and they brought it back, and they were putting the gas in their car when a guy in a pickup truck drove by, stopped. He saw what he thought was going on. And he, and he rolled down the windows, and he looked over at the nuns, and he said, sisters, I'm not Catholic, but I sure appreciate your faith. I hope people say that about us that they appreciate, our, that they see that we are people of faith, that we can, can move forward and people recognize that. See, God, God allowed Moses to go to Mount Nebo. I've been to that spot where, where Moses was. The day I was there was cloudy. You couldn't see gray. I certainly couldn't see all of the promised land. But I've been to that spot. And when I was there, there was, I was there with my friend Rod and then... Uh, a couple of busloads of tourists came over and they started clicking pictures, you know, and it totally ruined the moment. And, and Moses didn't have that, you know, it's just him and God looking out over the, that, that plains of Moab in the Jordan Valley. And I imagine as Moses looked out at that and had this awesome view, I can, I can just think that he got lost in wonder, love, and praise. I wish we could do that. I wish we had a glimpse of our promised land. Do you have a promised land? Do you see what God could do? On the night before he was shot to death, on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee, Dr. Martin Luther King preached at the Mason Temple Church of God. Dr. King was in Memphis to help sanitation workers. They were on strike and he was working that they might get a, a, a living wage. And Dr., Dr. King wasn't feeling well that night. He really didn't want to go and speak. Uh, but, but he knew that a crowd had gathered and he, was, he, he wanted to speak for them and so he went. The, of course, there were death threats. Dr. King was always under death threats. And as he preached that final, what would end up being his final sermon, he, he talked about the civil rights movement and, and how they, they, they were there and the strategy for change. And then he unpacked the, the story of the Good Samaritan. If you ever get a chance to, to read that sermon or listen to that sermon, you, you ought to do that. It's a masterpiece, really. And just as Deuteronomy was for Moses, the sermon in Memphis for Dr. King, it was his final testimony, if you will. And he ended the sermon in fire and conviction. And he talked about this in this moment. He talked about how Moses went up Mount Nebo. And he told his followers that, that, that God had... Has, has, he pointed out how Moses went up there and pointed out how God had allowed him to get a glimpse of the promised land. And this is how he ended that sermon. He said, I might not get there with you. Remember, the next day he's going to be assassinated. He said, I may not get there. My eyes have seen the... My question is, do you have a promised land? 
of vision that has overtaken your promised land be something like money or or things or vision like like martin b maybe it's your family maybe it's saying all right my is my family they that's that's the glimpse of glory that i can see those family members move in your neighborhood what's the promised land that god has given you all right this is the last others don't forget god's everlasting arms and right called uncertain great job it's a wonderful sermon he's a, the dude can pray as we're driving to Ben's church. I wasn't driving. I'm watching, and he says, okay, I've got a spoiler alert for you. And I knew what he was going to say. I knew I, the Ten Commandments, the, uh, the first four commandments, it was easy peasy. We didn't talk about a sermon. You know, you're supposed to have no other gods before you, no graven images, uh, uh, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, don't take the Lord's name, and just preach on those four commandments. It ruined my ending of this whole series. What he said was that in uncertain days, that all days, it's always uncertain in these uncertain times you aren't alone you kidding me god's everlasting arms are lifting us up the temptation is to fall into fear and doubts and worry what's going to happen this and that i don't know what the future holds but i know this god's everlasting arms are lifting you and holding you up you can trust him you can trust him now you can trust him always Listen, uncertain days. But we can trust God's everlasting arms. 